We're almost halfway through this journey, and we're learning and processing so much. This week is all about putting what we learned about last week into action. We learn that forgiveness is core to a Christ-following lifestyle. So if that's true, then can I always expect to be forgiven by a Christian? And what's the best way to share the wrongs I've done with someone? How can I be sure it will go well? Ryan's going to talk about many of these things in this lesson. So let's listen. Last week, we looked at forgiveness and tried to clarify what it meant. But the necessity of this topic, it deserves at least two weeks because sin is always going to show up in marriage. You've married a sinner. Your spouse married a sinner as well. And whenever sin shows up, it has the inevitable effect of separating people. Sin always separates. It's It's the very nature of sin. But God wants us to have reconciliation with one another. He wants us to be reconciled. To be reconciled is to be made one again. And when our spouses hurt us, when we've been sinned against, our role, our responsibility is to forgive. Last week, we defined it this way. To forgive is to release another from the penalty of sin so that the relationship can be restored. That's in your notes. Now, that's what happens when we're sinned against. We're called to forgive. I can speak that for, for me and in my house that forgiveness often flounders because, well, because there's been an inadequate confession from the one who did the offending. You know, we're called to forgive whether or not our spouse confesses their sin. But when there is confession and when it's a really an effective confession, it makes it a lot easier to grant forgiveness. We see this dynamic. Uh, I don't necessarily want to take you here, but in Psalm 32, David looks back over his, his sin where he committed with uh, adultery with Bathsheba and then he committed murder. He murdered Uriah to cover that up. Psalm 32 is a psalm where he's looking back over his, his sin, how it separated him from God, and, and then his subsequent confession and restored relationship with God. Verses uh, three and four, he says, he said, when I kept silent with my sin, uh, your hand was heavy upon me. I, my strength was sapped. I felt dead inside because I was experiencing the separation of my sin and it separated me from God. David said that. But then in verse five, he said, but then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You restored me. The moment David confessed his sin, God gave him a sense of restoration. And that's what we can have. When there's forgiveness, we can forgive whether or not there's confession. But when we confess well, it makes reconciliation happen so much more smoothly. So we, we want to look at the, the, what it takes to give an, an effective confession. I will have to say this, 98% of the time, probably 99% of the time, when you have forgiveness, where you have sin in a marriage, you're going to need both the husband and the wife will have both a role in forgiving and confessing. It almost never happens where just one person sinned and the other person was completely innocent. So uh, keep that in mind. It's never, it's very rarely is it just my role just to forgive and it's your role to confess. 
I've, I always find I have sin to confess as well. So what is an effective confession? What does that look like? Well, I have eight A's of an effective confession and they are borrowed directly from Ken Sandy who has Peacemaker Ministries. This is, I, I can't approve upon these, these eight A's of confession. So number one, the first step of, a, of an effective confession is that you need to address everyone involved. Address everyone involved, whoever has been affected. The confession should go as wide as the impact of those who've been hurt. So for example, if I get impatient, let's say I raise my voice uh, in speaking to my wife. Well, I need to confess to Brandy. I raised my voice at, at you and I should not have done that. I, I should confess. But the thing is in our house, we have one of those small houses uh, where you can't really hide that from the kids. They're gonna hear. If I raise my voice, they're gonna hear it. So when I confess to my wife, I need to turn around and say to my kids after I confess to her, kids, you should never hear your father speak to your mother that way. And I apologize for talking to your mother that way. And, it, and, and to acknowledge it, I've hurt them by hurting my wife. That's confessing to everyone who's involved. So address everyone who's involved. Number two, avoid the words if, but, and maybe when you confess. Those words have nullified more confessions than I can imagine. This flat out, it sabotages a confession to say if, because the moment you use these words, you are trying to excuse yourself rather than actually to confess. If you said something like, I'm sorry if I was inconsiderate, you're not saying I'm sorry I was consider, in, inconsiderate. You're simply saying, you know, I wasn't inconsiderate, but if you think I was inconsiderate, I'm, I'm sorry. If cancels it out. Don't say, I'm sorry I raised my voice, but I wouldn't have had to raise my voice if you weren't interrupting me. The moment you say, but, there's a, you are probably justifying yourself. You're turning around and saying why what you did isn't that bad. Those words absolutely sabotage a confession. Another thing, it's not written here, but avoid wordy confessions. The more you say in a confession, the more likely it is that you're actually just trying to excuse yourself. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, where words are many, sin is not absent. In general, be aware and beware of wordy confessions because chances are you're trying to justify yourself. So avoid those words. Number three, admit specifically how you're wrong. Admit what you've done. Admit both your attitude and your actions. When you get specific with what you're confessing, it gives the person that you're confessing to the understanding that you've seen you're wrong, where you're wrong. Not some general sense of like, I'm sorry I was proud. We all struggle with pride. No, but if you say, I, I'm sorry that I've been bragging about myself or I'm sorry that I, I've been hogging all the attention at, at dinner the other night, you're getting more specific and, and you're starting to take a look at what was ugly about your behavior. We want to be specific about the, the, um, the things like motives that were going on. Actually, I, I want to look at Matthew chapter seven, verse three. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
we naturally will focus on what somebody else did. We think that's the big issue. But Jesus says, no, I, when, there's a log in your own eye. There's something that, that you need to be focusing on. And when you look at your own sin, you should see these as logs. So I actually have three different types of logs that, that we need to focus on in ourselves. When we confess, we want to focus on our attitude. That's one thing. I've been smug and self-righteous towards you. That's a good confession. You're confessing your attitude. And a lot of times people won't bring their attitudes to the table because they're not admissible evidence in the court. You know what I mean? You can point out what somebody said, but you can't necessarily point out their attitude, but you can confess your attitude. And the attitude is often the thing that's most offensive. If you confess your attitude, I was self-righteous towards you. I was inconsiderate, whatever it might be, that gives the person the satisfaction of knowing that you know what you did. Another thing, my words, my actions. I was wrong when I said dot, dot, dot. I was wrong when I did this. If you get specific again, it helps. The last one here is motives. I've been fighting for my way rather than fighting for our relationship. I've been thinking only about me. I've been thinking only about my career, not our marriage. I, those kinds of motives come in and we need to, uh, to, to confess those things. I've actually given Brandy permission to ask me, who are you fighting for when we're in arguments? Because so often I find that I'm fighting for, um, I'm fighting for myself. Uh, most often I'm defending myself. I'm fighting for my sense of being right rather than what's right for the relationship, what's right for, for God's glory. I, I'm thinking about me my reputation, even my reputation in my wife's eyes. And she will see that often and we'll just go back and forth. But then when I, 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 I don't know how long ago it was, I gave her the permission to ask me, who are you fighting for? And I hate it when she asked me that because, because it points out I'm not fighting for the right thing. I'm, I'm fighting for me. And pretty much it always stops me in my tracks and it makes me think, what does it look like to fight for God's glory and to fight for the relationship and I get to stop and reapproach and confess my attitudes, confess my motives. It does a lot of good. All right, I'm going to keep moving. Number four, acknowledge, acknowledge the hurt that you've caused. Express the sorrow for the way you've hurt your spouse. We tend to focus on how we've been hurt and kind of ignore or gloss over the way our spouses are hurt. We, the goal of this is to step into the shoes of your spouse and feel what it's like to, to face the sin that you bring to the table. This is so hard to do. If you say something like, I, I hurt your feelings today. I deeply hurt your feelings or I made you feel unsafe. Saying those things makes me feel very vulnerable because I'm admitting just how wrong I am by entering in to my, to my wife's shoes and, and experiencing it from her perspective. It's scary, but you put all these things together, just these numbers two, three, and four, it's a form of taking full responsibility for your sin, to avoid saying if or but, to admit specifically what you've done and to look at the way you've hurt your spouse. You're taking full responsibility for your sin in your confession and the other person can begin to want to forgive when you do that. You know, um, 
I've heard it put this way. When we are in a fight, there's a, there's a tendency to focus on the other person's sin and my pain. That's what we naturally do. We naturally focus on the other person's sin, the speck that is in the other person's eye, and we focus on the pain that their sin is causing us. That's, that's our default setting. We need to flip that around and we need to focus on my sin and your pain. I need to focus on my sin and the pain that I've caused you. And that is very difficult to do. It actually, I think it's supernatural. It's, it's something that just does not come naturally to us. But when we do it, we, we set ourselves up to, for an effective confession and to really ask for forgiveness. I actually have right here a, um, a little note. It's, it's an air conditioning, air conditioning and heating notepad thing. And it's what uh, this, this little note right here is what rescued us from a really bad weekend. This is probably a year old at least, but it's this principle of focusing on my sin and your pain put on a piece of paper because what I have right here is this came after a long weekend of Brandy and I having one of those fights that just kind of went on and on. And every time we tried to uh, address it, it would just kind of get worse. And I think it was a, maybe a Sunday night I, I remember what Greg had said. I need to focus on my, my pain and Brandy's sin. And I took this piece of paper and I started writing down my sins. What are the things that I've done over this weekend? And I focused on, I wrote those things down and then I drew a line and I wrote, what's the pain that I'm causing Brandy? I wrote them down and I remember going into our bedroom. Brandy was kind of laying on the bed. We were, she had the TV on and I asked if I can read this to her. And I said, Brandy, um, this weekend, I've been interpreting things defensively and childishly. I've been holding a grudge against you. All my actions, I've been selfish this weekend. I've been extremely impatient toward you and I've, I've raised my voice more than once. And I imagine, and here I'm turning to her, to, to her pain, I can imagine it's discouraging to live with a, a man who's misinterpreting you all the time. It's gotta be absolutely frustrating to put up with me. And it's gotta be even scary knowing that you have to run this household with three little kids with a person who's acting like a kid. And I wanna ask for your forgiveness. And Brandy looked at me and said, well, you certainly hit the nail on the head. <laughs> and she, I laugh now because I, she was right. I hit the nail on the head. She got up, she left. Uh, the room and came back five or 10 minutes later in tears and um, was convicted and she confessed as well. And the thing is, she was waiting for the other shoe to drop. She was waiting for me to say, it must be scary living with a guy like me. And then, but the thing is you, and I start listing off her, her issues and I didn't, I, it's not my job to focus on the speck in her eye. It was, it was my job to focus on, on my role. So, Number five, accept the consequences of your sin. You know, when you confess, if you expect everything just to be back to normal immediately, that is a conditional confession. And it's, the truth is often there's gonna be some consequences. It's gonna, it might, it might, there might be a period of rebuilding trust or you might have to clean up the mess a little bit. You have to give back what was taken away. 
but it's, it's hard to forgive someone when they sense that you are expecting everything to be normal right away. Accept the consequences. Next, number six, alter your behavior. You know, you want to change your attitudes and your actions after you confess. If you confess and everything is just back to the way it was before, you keep on doing it, it kind of nullifies your confession. Now, maybe you realize that I can't change. I'm going to confess, but I'm not sure I know how to change. You might say something like this. You know, with God's help next time, this is what I'm going to do. With God's help, I want to change. But make an attempt to alter your behavior. Number seven, this is huge. Ask for forgiveness. Rather than simply saying, I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness. This is probably one of the biggest things I took away from re-engage. And I'm not even sure it was directly from the curriculum or from our small group, but just realizing when I say, I'm sorry, it's like a drive-by apology. I'm just saying, I'm sorry. And whether or not you're there, to, to ready to forgive. I've said, I'm sorry, we're, we're done. But when I stop and I say, will you forgive me? I put the ball in the other person's court and I'm making myself vulnerable to them. It's, it's to say, I'm sorry, communicates things like I, I feel bad about this, but it falls short of taking responsibility of what I've done. And too often saying, I'm sorry, is merely motivated by wanting to get off the hook and to move on. Will you forgive me? recognizes that we're wrong and we're now indebted to the other person. And we give our spouse an opportunity to grant mercy. To ask for forgiveness gives your spouse the opportunity to grant mercy and to grant forgiveness. Here's the last A. When you confess, allow time to heal. Give it time. I know I've kind of mentioned, alluded to this before, but sometimes when you've really hurt someone, recognize it's going to take time to heal. This is a high bar. This is a really high bar for confession. I would say that the last blank is a very important point. You can't confess this way unless it starts with God. I can't emphasize that enough. You can't really confess this way unless you start by confessing to God. Because here's the problem. When you confess to your spouse, if you are starting with your spouse, and that's the first, she's, she's the first person you confess to, or he's the first person you confess to. You need your spouse to forgive you. And if they don't, it's going to crush you or it's going to anger you because you're standing before your spouse. Your justification, your sense of being okay, you're standing before your spouse and that's not your spouse's role. The truth is when you sin against your spouse, you haven't sinned against them first. You've actually sinned against God. You know, in Psalm 51, we get to listen in on David's confession uh, regarding the same sin with committing adultery with Bathsheba and committing murder. He confesses to God and in verse four, he says this. He says, against you, you only have I sinned. He's speaking to God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David killed Uriah. And then he says, against you, God, you alone have I sinned. I wonder if Uriah's mom liked that verse. Do you think that would have offended her? Maybe. But here's the thing. David didn't primarily sin against Uriah. He sinned against God. I say that because 
What if Bathsheba was married to a guy named Jeff? You know who would have been killed? Jeff. It wasn't like David had it out for Uriah. It was David actually was shaking his fist at God when he took Bathsheba. David was shaking his fist at God when he murdered Uriah because he, God had been rich toward David. He'd given him David everything. And David said, it's not enough. I'm gonna go take, I'm gonna go have my own way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm, I'm the king here. And he was primarily sinning against God and he was gonna stand before God and answer for that sin. But if he tried to get his confession and his sense of justification horizontally with man, man can't grant that. And so um, when you confess to your spouse, you need your spouse to forgive you if you're starting with your spouse. But when you confess to God, you realize I'm justified because God always grants forgiveness. Look at 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not fickle with forgiveness. He forgives totally. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We get a sense of forgiveness that allows us to go before our spouse and whether or not our spouse is ready to forgive, we know that we stand justified, free of condemnation because the one who we ultimately stand before has forgiven us. And then we can enter into the pain of our spouse and ask for forgiveness with a, with a conscience that's, that's clear before God. An effective confession always starts with the confession to God. And when God has forgiven and covered you, you don't have to cover yourself. That's huge. You know, sin separates. It always separates, but the reconciliation is available to us when we learn to confess well and when we learn to forgive without conditions. And it's my prayer that we learn how to do both of those really well. It's, I think that's the, one of the most foundational things in a strong marriage is knowing how to confess and how to forgive. So let me pray and ask for God to help us to apply this. Father, thank you for um, teaching us what it means to confess our sins, letting us see through uh, the actions, the words and the actions and the mistakes of a, of a man after your own heart, David, that he, we get to listen in on his confession and know that you forgave the guilt of his sin. And, and we get to know that when Jesus came and took the penalty for our sin, he granted us uh, for an absolute forgiveness. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us to confess our sins first to you and then to effectively confess our sins to our spouse. Would you also teach us to be gracious and merciful in the way we grant forgiveness, even if our spouse does not confess perfectly. And I pray that nobody here goes and holds their spouse accountable to all eight of these practices because we're all going to struggle to do this. But would you teach us to do it well in Jesus' name? Amen.